This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta, keep climbing. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On September 27th, the Washington Post held a series of live conversations about the economics of the aviation industry. Leaders in government and aviation discussed the rising cost of jet fuel, energy policy, what's next for aircraft and airports, and other innovations that will transform the way we travel. In this segment, Democratic Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Republican Representative Scott Perry of Pennsylvania discuss public policy issues affecting the aviation industry and key items on the legislative agenda. Let's listen. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. My name is Jackie Alamany. I uh, am the anchor of the soon-to-launch Power Up Early Morning Newsletter. Please subscribe after this panel. Um, you can go to the Washington Post website and uh, search Power Up, and you'll find it. Uh, I'm so thrilled to be joined this morning um, by Senator Ed Markey, Democrat from Massachusetts, and Congressman Scott Perry, a Republican from Pennsylvania. Uh, both sit on aviation subcommittees in their respective houses of Congress. Thank you so much for taking the time out on this very busy morning. Uh, this is a super interesting topic um, that I'm sure all of you in the audience are really passionate and interested in. Um, before we begin, I want to remind you all to please participate and tweet your questions in on Twitter um, using the hashtag taking flight, and um, we'll try to get some of those questions in. Um, so I want to start with a topic. We, you know, we just heard from Bailey Edwards uh, on the reauthorization bill. So I want to start on a topic that I think the audience is especially passionate about, um, which is a specific provision left out of the bill that passed this weekend um, about uh, excessive airline fees. So Senator Markey, I know that you've been pretty outspoken on the issue. How are you going to push the ball forward on it um, and address it in the future? Um, well. I lost this round. I was able to win in the Senate. Uh, dealing with the issue of consumers just being tipped upside down and having money shaken out of their pockets if they want to cancel uh, a ticket, if they want uh, to um, uh, have an extra bag which goes onto the uh, plane, if they want to change their uh, flight. Uh, increasingly, that's where the airlines see their ability to be able to uh, essentially just gouge the customers. Uh, and it's across the entire industry. It's a product of the fact that there has been dramatic consolidation in the industry, a reduction from 10 airlines down to only four airlines over the last 10 years. And so that puts less power in the hands of the consumer, more in the hands of the airlines. It's over $7 billion now that uh, the airlines now extract out of uh, consumers per year. Uh, it's a huge profit center. And all my provision did, along with Senator Wicker from uh, Mississippi, was to say that the FAA just had to put something in place which determined what is reasonable to cancel, what is reasonable to change your reservation, what is reasonable for a first bag or a second bag to be put on 
a plane and then what would be charged. Just reasonable, not prohibiting charging, having extra fees. But even that was too much for the airline industry. And on Saturday, in the conference committee at the 11th hour, my provision was taken out. Senator Wicker from Mississippi's provision was taken out. So I'm not done. I'll be back. Uh, I just think uh, there's a reckoning that's going to be coming uh, with the airline industry in its relationship because you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, we're going to reduce and reduce and reduce competition, therefore we can do whatever we want. And then at the same time, we don't want any regulation either uh, because in that regulatory black hole, uh, the consumer uh, is left without any protections. And Congressman Perry, I just kind of want to get to a broader issue about sure. what role and what obligation does Congress play to uh, regulate travelers' experiences? Well, I think we do play an important role. And uh, I, look, I'm, a, I'm one of the traveling public like everybody else. And newsflash to the airlines, like if we're traveling somewhere, we want to take our clothes with us, right? And we don't want to be, <laughs> uh, we want to be punished and penalized for that. And, and, and of course, there's always a couple different ways. To, I think we want to get to the same place, but it's how we get there. And so we want to ensure that it's safe and it's, it's reliable and that it's, uh, and that it's affordable. And I think the best way to do that is to free the industry in large and provide for and, and, and encourage that greater competition. Because I will tell you, somebody that allows me to go fly at the same price and take my clothes with me to where I'm going is going to get, I, I think, a fair share of the business. So in the current compromise bill, what are the major changes that consumers are going to see in flying commercially? Well, um, I was able to secure a few additional consumer benefits. One, my amendment was included. Uh, and the House has accepted it, that there will be no cell phones on planes where the pa passenger sitting next to you can be yakking for the entire flight. So I can't FaceTime with my friend on a flight? You know, thank you. So, no, you can, you, you can, you can text, but you don't want to be sitting on a flight for six hours in stereo with two people talking. <laughs> Uh, to uh, their best buddy someplace for all six hours. So that is now prohibited. That's my provision. I may go down in history for that one <laughs> consumer protection. But E-cigarettes? Uh, E-cigarettes? There's yeah. a provision that so you, if you're sitting next to someone, just like smoking is a problem, E-cigarettes are now in the, same, in the same provision, as well as bumping, the arbitrary bumping by the airlines. And you, you show up yeah. and right. you find out you're no longer on the flight. That's, that's a problem. Right. And uh, I, I also was able to have a ban on knives on planes. Uh, Muhammad Atta and the other nine hijackers at Logan Airport in my district up in Massachusetts hijacked two planes on September 11, uh, 2001. They used box cutters, small knives. Uh, and the one thing that flight attendants are most concerned about is that there would be a relaxation of that requirement, that no knives be on planes. TSA over the years has been trying to reduce the requirement to uh, have a full screening and removal of all knives on planes. But I was successful in having an inclusion of that provision in this piece of legislation as well, uh, so that flight attendants, all passengers, wouldn't have to worry that someone has a knife. Uh, which they can use in the passenger cabin. Um, 
And you know, these are pretty common sense provisions, uh, but I want to talk about a provision that you got in there, which I think is fascinating, um, which is the creation of a drone czar. You know, we heard Bailey Edwards right. talking about the, how the FAA envisions the future of drones. Uh, can you tell us about this position and how you uh, envision them legislating going ahead? We actually did that in Homeland Security, and uh, and of course it dovetails in the FAA because right. uh, the FAA will regulate. But we need somebody, one point of contact, one point of responsibility and accountability to deal with respectfully and responsibly the issue of unmanned aerial vehicles. They're all around us. We can we can close our eyes, we can stick our heads in the sand, right, and and hope that they're not here. But they're here, and and it's important that that someone is the point at the tip of the spear deciding regulation and what's appropriate and making making it a viable um, business for uh, industry for the United States. We're losing market share to other countries because we're we're essentially just opposed to it, right? We hope it's not here. It is here, so no, we just need to deal with it responsibly and there has to be somebody in charge of that. Yeah, we're, we're uh, and, and that's a great idea. We, we need a, um, we need a drone czar, but we also need to just anticipate this entire drone era. What are the rules going to be? Uh, how many are there going to be? What are the protections which the public are going to receive? So for many of these drones, they're going to be collecting information as they fly over people's homes, over people's backyards. What are the rules with regard to the gathering of that information? If, if they're gathering information about a family gathering in the backyard with little kids, those photographs, that information, what can that individual do with that information? So inside of the bill, I have required a study by the FAA of what the rules should be for the protection of privacy of individuals. These are basically going to be spies in the sky, you know, uh, hobbyists, companies, gathering information about people. So on the one hand, you want to make sure that they're up there and they're safe and they're not crashing into each other, they're not crashing into planes, they're not being used for malicious purposes. But simultaneously, these devices are going to be gathering massive amounts of information about ordinary Americans with no rules right now, no rules about what the information can be used for. And so we need to have, I think, a comprehensive study of this and then subsequently, ultimately, put real rules on the books so that the public knows, one, that there is, that you have knowledge that information is being gathered about you by these drones in your backyard as you're walking down the street. Two, uh, notice that that information could be reused for purposes other than that which you would have ever intended it to be used. And three, that at some level, and we have to study this, that you have a right to say no. You just can't be gathering information about people and selling photographs of kids in the backyard to whomever or other private information which is being gathered, this is going to be a fundamental um, set of rights, which I think we're going to have to debate in our country, uh, because in the same way we're now debating Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, uh, we're debating compromise of child privacy online, well, this is just going to be 
another potential sinister side of cyberspace, where all this information is put uh, into the hands of who, we don't know who, uh, for use in ways we don't know what. And so in this bill, uh, I do have a, uh, an FAA database which is going to be created, but a study which is going to have to be conducted to determine what the rules of the road should be going forward. So the senator's right. This cu cuts across multiple jurisdictions. Not only are we talking about traffic management for, for the drones to make sure that they stay out of where they're not supposed to be, but also the privacy issues that, that you've talked about. Should they be collecting the information? Whose information is it? Who's allowed to collect? Uh, what do they do with the information if and when they have it? And then how do we deal with that as a federal government? Is the information, is the privacy side, is that the purview of the FAA? How will they govern it if it is the purview of the FAA? Or should it be the purview of somebody else? Should it be the purview of local law enforcement, the Department of Justice, et cetera? And then how do we get the policy, right? The, the policy, it seems to me, uh, should be regarding the traffic management system and the rules of flying drones. That's the purview of the FAA. The privacy issues, at least from a, from a micro perspective, and I know this gets a little wonky, at least in the House and the Senate, would be the purview of the Judiciary Committee. So we have to work in tandem to make sure we work out these issues. At the same time, the schedule's full, but they're here. We've got to deal with them. We've got to collaborate and coordinate to make sure that we get this all correct so that it happens simultaneously, concurrently, and doesn't, uh, and doesn't abridge the rights and the freedoms and the privacy of the American citizens, but also doesn't hamstring the industry from, from progressing as it should, as it is, all around the rest of the world. Yeah, and that, and that it, creates a, it, it creates another regulatory black hole which is which is a problem, okay? Where the FAA said, the FAA has been saying, well, Pontius Pilate, like, not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to get the drones in the air. What happens after that? You know, not our responsibility. So you you wind up with a threat that is to the privacy of Americans, which is being created. But there's no simultaneity to the discussion of how we're going to animate the technology with human values. How is this information going to be used? How could the lives of ordinary Americans start to be compromised? So it's not enough just to say, we're going to make sure that when they get up in the air, they're not crashing into each other or other things. You also have to make sure that the people on the ground, on Earth, are also protected uh, in terms of the uh, malicious way in which it can be used. Because there's a Dickensian quality to drones. They can ennoble, they can enable, but they can also degrade and they can debase society. If the information is used in a malevolent way, and we have to make sure that we are doing both, in my opinion, simultaneously, which is why I have this study which is built in and why I'm going to have the FAA build the database because I intend eventually, within the next couple of years, to mandate a privacy bill of rights for ordinary citizens on the ground to protect them against all this data. This is an industry. These people want to make money off of our data, off of our families. They're going to want to monetize the privacy of Americans all across the country and say, we're just going to sell this stuff. 
Uh, and that's the problem that we've had with Facebook. That's the problem that we've had with these other companies. Uh, they don't believe that there's a concomitant responsibility to put in place the security of this information so that it just is not turned into a product. And so there is a provision in the bill um, called the Preventing Emerging Threats Act. Um, but there has been pushback from groups like the Electronic Frontier Foundation, drone advocacy groups, that uh, DHS, um, so what this does is uh, it allows DHS and DOJ to intercept drones that they believe um, is a credible threat. But these you know, advocates believe that the bill doesn't adequately define what a credible threat is. Um, obviously, Attorney General Jeff Sessions has applauded the measure, but what are your thoughts on this provision and how can you oversee these expanded powers? So it's a work in progress. The authorization is there with this new bill to identify and track because, as you can imagine, they can be used nefar for nefarious or malevolent purposes. And the only way with the immediacy of the issue, the potential immediacy of the issue is to have someone with the authority uh, to, to, to down the drone or to, uh, to change its course or whatever the, whatever the decision is. But at the, at the core of that is to be able to identify which, which actual piece of traffic, which, which uh, component it is, uh, positively identify it and then thwart the, the threat. And we're going to have to work out what is decided as a threat, who, do, who makes that decision, what's the timeline, so on and so forth. And this is, you know, for all the hobbyists and the folks that want to use them to take a picture of your backyard pool or whatever, we get it. But unfortunately, in the world today, there are people that want to use them for other purposes. And we have to, it's one of government's core functions is to keep our greater society safe. And if we're going to have these things flying around, we got to make sure that there there is a failsafe to stop bad things from happening. We don't want to, I mean, you, you've seen it online, whether it's Venezuela, whether it's uh, Angela Merkel, when she's on stage and the next thing you know, there's a drone in front of her. Now, if they just want to take a picture, maybe that's no foul, but who knows what they might want to do. They've also been used in the combat zone to bomb, uh, uh, you know, allied vehicles and, and successfully done. So if they can do that there, they can certainly do it somewhere else and, and we have to be prepared for that. Uh, the, uh, the, the threat is going to become increasingly real. Uh, the, it, it can be an accident, obviously, a drone that hits a plane, brings it down, leads to the death of a couple of hundred people in the United States, or it can be deliberate. It can just be an attempt by some um, nefarious force within our country, could be Al-Qaeda, could be anyone. Who, that just takes this technology and begins to paralyze our airline system in our country. After the, uh, uh, the hijacking of the two planes at Logan Airport that flew into um, the World Trade Center, our air traffic in Boston went down 25% for three years. People didn't want to get on planes again. That hurt our economy dramatically. So we have to anticipate um, malevolent forces that will be thinking of ways in which they can use these devices in order to make people afraid to fly. That's how terrorists win. Uh, so I had a company in my office just this past week uh, with a new technology, a radar system that will be able to detect, can detect in fact, uh, these drones as they're moving within the radius of a football stadium or an airport. Uh, and we're going to have to begin increasingly to find ways in which we can deploy integrated systems around the things that we want to protect 
um, so that these drones cannot, in fact, uh, be used in a way that create catastrophic, sometimes potentially apocalyptic events in our country that would be a total victory for al-Qaeda, a total victory for terrorists. Um, now, I want to talk about another major issue facing the industry, uh, which is pilot shortages. Um, and Congressman Perry, her former helicopter pilot who served in uniform for 35 years, um, so I know you're very much aware of this uh, issue, and I, I, I wonder, I'm wondering if there's any um, strategies you have going ahead to support pilots um, and to kind of curb this problem. Well, I think we all recognize it, and of course, as an Army guy, I see it manifested. Nobody wanted a helicopter pilot when we were done flying it, unless you went to emergency medical service. I mean, nobody in the airline industry, that was usually the purview of the Air Force because you had fixed-wing uh, uh, experience at the time you were leaving your uniform service, and so it was a quick transition. But the airline industry has responded to the shortage by looking for literally anybody uh, that uh, that has the capability and the experience to, to be safe and, and and fly the fly their aircraft. Uh, I think again, this is a, this is a call not only to the industry but to to government to see that there's a shortage and to find ways uh, uh, to incentivize that kind of vocation. And 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 a lot of people feel like they can't. It'd be too complicated for. Them. I will tell you, I was one of those people coming out of high school. I went to uh, I, I went looked at the Army program and I thought you got to be like a genius to fly an aircraft, and it was just not going to be something beyond my capability. Uh, my recruiter wanted me to work on the engine. I was an auto mechanic. I worked on cars, and I looked at the engine, centrifugal turbo axle, uh, all silver and polished and, you know, something completely out of the realm of what I was used to. And I, I thought, well, I would never be smart enough to do that. And three years later, I was flying the thing. Um, people have to understand and be educated on what the requirements are, the physical requirements, the the academic requirements, but I think that that's a dream for many people to do that, and I think that it's not beyond their capabilities. They just don't know it, and I think we have to market that, that uh, we have to do a better job, not only as an industry, but as a nation, uh, that, uh, that vocation, because it's, it's a very satisfying and fulfilling vocation that a lot of people can realize, a lot of people, uh, like I said, dream about it. They just don't think they can do it. Mm -hmm. What about you, Senator? Um, I'm with the general, okay, uh, and uh, uh, you're a retired general. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I've got, I'm still serving uh, on oh, the National Guard. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. Uh, yeah. so I salute his answer, awesome. and I agree with it. <laughs> well, that's about all the time uh, we have today. Thank you so much for joining us, um, and I'd like to introduce my colleague Lori Aritani, who will lead our next discussion with industry experts. Beautiful. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Great, great, great fun. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.